This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome back to another episode of Get Started Investing, a podcast where we attempt to answer the most common money and investing questions from the community. And this episode, we are definitely going to be doing that because it is our listener mailbag. To close out 2023, I've been peer pressured into this one. My name is Bryce. And as always, I've been joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. That's the first question answered. We are on a roll already. We don't have time to dilly dally because we've got a lot of questions to get through. All through the year, if you've had a question, you've been able to hit us up at ask at equitymates.com and either on this podcast, on the uh, sister Equitymates Investing Podcast or on our email, the Equitymates email, we've been answering your questions and putting your questions to some of Australia's best investors and advisors. So, we've got a bit of a backlog of questions that we're going to answer here so, should we just get stuck in? Yeah, there's probably no real rhyme or rhythm to this, but thank you to everyone who sent them in. Before we do, we must say that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal circumstances. So, any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes only. Any advice is general. However, Ren, let's start. First question coming in from Daniel Gleason. Hi, guys. Daniel here. Well, I know you can't provide tax advice. I've always wondered about the tax implications of dollar cost averaging. If someone purchases stock frequently, doesn't tax time get really messy? How does one best manage the purchase and sale to complete an accurate tax return? Do you use a big spreadsheet, other software, or just average a lot of the values? Love the show. Cheers. So I think I think there's two ways to answer this question. First of all, thanks for the question, Daniel. There's a the accounting answer and then there's how we manage it. Yep. So the accounting answer is you can there's two ways that you can account for purchases where you're buying in lots of different lots and then you're selling in lots of different lots. Mm-hmm. And that's either first in, first out mm-hmm. or first in, last out. Yes. And you get to choose, don't you? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so you just nominate which way you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. You just say, I, the stock I bought in June 2022 was the first in and I'm going to sell that lot. And then you account for the dividends. Uh, you account for the capital gain or capital loss or the most recent ones that I bought, I'm going to sell those. Yeah. 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 So that's the accounting answer. I think the more valuable answer is the practical way in terms of how we do it. Mm. Um, you, My system is a little bit more rudimentary. So let's start with your system, which is... Share site. Yeah, so I did find it became a bit cumbersome trying to track this myself because now we're investing multiple times a month or monthly. 
And so, yeah, I use ShareSite, which is a software that allows you to plug in all of the trades that you make and at what price. And it's pretty automated with your brokerage platforms now, which is great. And then at the end of the tax year, it can generate a tax report and you can choose the system that you want first in, first out, first in, last out. You can choose the system that you want to recognize for the tax year and it will tell you this is what the deal is. Fortunate as well to have an accountant through the business to double check all of that. Yeah, (laughs) nice. My system is a little bit more rudimentary. I just will only sell the whole chunk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, to be honest, like to be honest, I'm not selling anything in my dollar cost averaging core portfolio. But But, even within the whole chunk, you still need to account for the variances in capital gains in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Average price. Oh, that's how you do it. That's how. Well, I give it to the accountant. (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing is, if if you just have the average price and you sell it all in one chunk, that'll factor. That will be give you the. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it will. Yeah. So anyway. yes, anyway, long story short, there is software tools available to it or you can go down the route of tracking your sp- yourself with a sp- spreadsheet or don't sell. Yeah, well, that's kind of my strategy <laughs> yeah. at the moment. All right, um, thank you, Daniel. All right, let's keep moving. Next question we have is from Chris. Hi guys, Chris here. I've read both your books, loved them. I just had one question out of it with the don't stress invest strategy of putting in recurring amounts to invest in an ETF. Um, Isn't that similar to what your superannuation does? And wouldn't it be the same as just topping that up? We'd love to get your thoughts. Thanks. It's a good question. Great question. The short answer is yes. Like your super is dollar cost averaging into mainly stock market investments. Mm. And the only free kick that you get in investing is investing inside of super because there's a tax saving. So you're taxed at up to a certain level of contributions. You're taxed at 15% rather than your marginal tax rate, which will probably be in the 30s. So it pays literally to max out your super. The one caveat is then you can't access that money until you know, you're at retirement age, you're in your 60s. And so for people that want to build flexibility into their life, potentially achieve financial independence, retire early, or potentially just have the means to, you know, take a lower paying job or, you know, stop working for a couple of years when you have kids or whatever it is, you do need to also have investments outside of super. Mm. Um, But the fact that the strategy is very similar to your super strategy isn't a problem it's more an indication that the super strategy is a pretty good one. Mm. Dollar cost averaging, let it compound over decades. And so let's not try and reinvent the wheel. Let's try and replicate what works. Don't touch it. Nothing to add? I'm gonna be, I'll be the um, Charlie Munger. Oh, nice. <laughs> Warren, I have nothing to add. All right, well, Charlie, I'll ask you this question. Uh, this is from Harry. Um, okay. I've just finished reading Don't Stress, Just Invest and have learned so much and keen to start investing. However, I'm 16 years old and your recommended app to use, Sharesies, one of our recommended one apps, of, we should yes. say, uh, is 18 plus years old. So he'd like to ask what app you recommend me using that I'll have access to at my age. Nice. Great question, Harry. Loving the references to don't stress, just invest as well. Keep them coming by the book this for your family and friends this Christmas. Unfortunately, the short answer to this is there are no platforms available that let an individual sign up and use it from an individual point of view unless you're 18 years or older. 
That's such bull. Yeah, I think I don't know who's who it's driven by. I don't know what sort of regulation, but as a minor to be using an app like this, you still unfortunately need to be underneath the, some sort of parental account, just like a bank account or whatever it may be. You've essentially, Harry, got to wait a couple of years. And on your 18th birthday, don't go to the pub, sign up on an investment no, platform. No, do both. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, but Harry, speak to your parents because if you go to your parents and say, I want to start investing, the only superpower in investing is starting young. Can you open an account? Yes. In And then in his name? Yeah, yeah in and his then name. They, he can start funding it. Maybe they can chip some money in and then at 18, he can take control of it. Yeah, it'll be transferred across and away you go. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, next question comes in from Alex. Hey, guys. Alex here from the Sunshine Coast. Love the show and also the book. I'm fairly new to investing. Currently have some shares in the UK, the US and some ETFs, um, but I'm yet to make my first share purchase with the Combank. And their minimum spend is $500 for your first share purchase. And I was wondering if you could give me some advice without holding you to it of course uh some advice on my first 500 dollars share purchase with the combank many thanks all right well the caveat to this is if you want to spend less than 500 dollars, there are platforms that let you invest yeah. with less yeah but let's answer this question on the assuming he wants to stay with comsec and invest 500 what's your stock tip just like we've said in the book, find uh, an ETF that is well diversified, global, low cost. I think we give an, an example of VDHG. It's a global diversified high growth fund. Yeah, I think that's the, the right answer. There's all of the major ETF issuers have their equivalent of VDHG. So that's Vanguard's. Beta shares have DHHF, diversified high growth but essentially it's just an all-in-one etf that owns a number of indexes from around the world so it's globally diversified then some of them have a few other assets maybe a little bit of bonds or something like that but that's the without you know knowing your personal financial circumstances and your goals and stuff like that that is a sensible starting point yes for your stock market investing yes keeping in mind there are options to start with smaller investment amounts and also keep in mind that if you're investing 500 bucks with comsec you're paying 10 bucks brokerage you can get away with paying less brokerage yes. for the amount that you're investing Anyway, let's move on to this question from Emma. Hi, I'm turning 18 at the end of the month and I'd like to chuck a couple hundred into an ETF to get me started investing. What ETF would you guys recommend? I was thinking one overseas. Emma, see above. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for the question. Answer to Alex is the same. There are plenty of well-diversified global options out there. VDHG is one of them. Yeah, and I think, you know, Emma is saying that she wants global exposure and these all-in-one ETFs are not just Australian. They're mm. listed in Australia, but they own shares in companies from around the world. Yeah. So, uh, it's it's the natural starting point. If I had my time again, I certainly wouldn't have invested in Slater and Gordon. <laughs> no, no. I would have invested in one of these diversified ETFs, all-in-one ETFs. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, Bryce, let's keep this train rolling. Uh, we are ripping through these questions. Can't believe you didn't think this episode would be a good idea. <laughs> the next one comes in from Julie. She asks, can I please ask with your automated investing into the share market for your core portfolio, if you are paying brokerage on every transaction or if there is a way to avoid this? And then she has a second question, uh, which conveniently the answers to both questions will combine. Her second question is, how do you buy shares in the US? Love it. Great question. And one that we have often got when we talk about our core portfolio and good that you are paying attention to brokerage, because if you want to do dollar cost averaging regularly, brokerage can add up. Ren and I both use Superhero specifically for our core portfolios because they offer $0 brokerage on any ETF purchase in Australia or overseas. That allows us to dollar cost every minute of the day if we wanted with $0 brokerage. So perfect solution. Yeah, $0 brokerage on buying, on buying. should be clear. Yes. Uh, and there are other online brokers that offer pretty cheap brokerage for dollar cost averages. Sharesies is one that is a percentage, I'm mm. pretty sure. Um, and then stake is $3 Three a bucks. trade. That's pretty yeah. cheap. I imagine Perla, I actually don't know what they charge, but Perla is set up for dollar cost, cost averages. Averaging. So I imagine their pricing is pretty competitive. Uh, and the good news, Julie, is all of those brokers we've just listed, Superhero, Stake, Sharesies, and Perla, I'm pretty sure, all let you buy US shares as well. Do Perla have US? I can't remember. I they, think so. Okay. Maybe. Do your own do research, your own on, research Perla. on Perla. <laughs> we, but we're but no I'm very, for sure. <laughs> very confident those first three also let you do US. So, um, yeah, I think yeah. that's why they're the same answer because the broker you choose will let you invest either at no cost to buy ETFs or very cheap and let you buy in the US as well. Yeah. To be specific on that, the way they work is that you transfer your Aussie dollars in and then you have to transfer into US dollars and they split your account in the brokerage. So both stake and US, you have an Aussie account and a US account, but it's all in the same platform. Super simple to keep track of and buy across both. Good news. Just Googled it. Perla do offer US shares. That's the DD we're after. All right, Ren, let's keep going. This one's come in from Edgardo. He says, I'm trying to d- decide on saving a house deposit using either the first home buyer savings scheme or investing in ETFs instead using the same amount. The reason I thought about this is for the first home buyer savings scheme, there is no returns in interest, but only tax reduction in the end. I was thinking of using the money and investing it so that it will grow more and get higher returns faster than the savings scheme. But to be honest, I just thought about it now, have not checked the numbers, assuming I will use 600 AUD every month for the next two to three years. What are our thoughts? So I think, I think we should be clear. And for people who aren't familiar with the first home buyer super saver scheme, say that three times quickly. Um, Essentially, it's the government's way to help you save for a house deposit quicker. And what they let you do is they contribute more to your superannuation and then you can pull up up to $15,000 from any one financial year up to a total of $50,000. And you can put that towards your house deposit. So normally, the money that you contribute to super is locked up until... You're, you know, in your 60s um, or you retire, but uh, this is like an exception to pull some out earlier. Now, the reason that it's beneficial is because the contributions 
are taxed at the concessional 15% rather than your marginal tax rate, which will be in the likely be in the 30s. So that's the tax benefit that was mentioned there. Just to be clear on that though, and this is actually my me trying to understand it, you you still have to contribute more into the first that's time. Correct. Yes. That's correct. It's you not can't just, just to take out what your your employer play. has to put in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now we should be clear that the money is invested, mm. so you do make investment returns. Um, while it's sitting in that super environment. It's just- Or losses. Or losses, very good point. It's just treated as normal super. Um, So if you're thinking about, so the the reason, like it makes sense. The reason that it makes sense is because that tax benefit that you're saving is meaningful. You know, if your tax rate is 20 percentage points lower, you need a lot of investment return to make that up. So I would probably challenge the idea that you could, ta- if, if you're thinking in the short term, a couple of years, I would probably challenge the idea that you could just get it paid normally and then invest it super aggressively and have more. Mm. Because one, it's tough to massively outperform the market year after year. And two, the amount of risk that you're taking on to do that you might end up with half the deposit you thought you had. So like the first home super saver scheme does make sense for that reason. But obviously it's so dependent on how much you need for a deposit, what your investing goals are, what your other financial goals are, how much super you have. Like there's... um. There's a lot to think about mm. there. My my overarching comment is uh, I just read a couple of days ago that there is a bank account now that offers the highest interest rate that we've had in over a decade at 5.75%. Okay. So if you're saving for a house, the, the, the time and energy and effort that goes into saving that deposit, in my view, it is not worth risking that in the stock market. Yeah, so what you're saying there is if you do this super thing, it's still invested in the it's stock market. It's still invested, yeah. So there's still risk that you could lose yeah, absolutely. on the investment. Whereas absolutely. the 5.75, sure, you cop the higher tax rate, Yeah. but then that's... But it's guaranteed. Yeah. If you yeah. save 50, you're going to have 50. Yeah, yeah so, that makes sense. Um, I mean, that's something how, to consider. Speaking personally, that's how I approached it. Same. Just a yeah. high interest savings account. Yeah. But yeah, it's different strokes, different folks, all of that. Let's take a quick break here, Bryce. We're 20 minutes in. We've got a whole lot of questions uh, that we still have to answer. Let's have a quick drink of water, gather our thoughts, and then come back and let the question bonanza continue. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, welcome back to Get Started Investing. I've made myself a coffee. Bryce has got his water bottle filled and we are ready to keep going with this question bonanza. Uh, We have anything you want to say before we get stuck in? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. All right, next up, we have a question from Melissa. Hey, equity mates. My name's Melissa and I'm looking at putting some money away for my retirement, currently looking at about 15%. 
However, I'm concerned about putting it into my super. So I want to have the ability to access the money in in a case of an emergency without having to file through my super under hardship. I also was looking at beta shares, but I do realize that they haven't been around forever, like Vanguard. And my concern is what happens to that money if beta shares is no longer around? That's probably one of my biggest concerns. Thanks so much, Melissa. Great question, Melissa. One that we often get. Starting at the broker level, we often hear, you know, new brokers come into town. Is it safe against some of the more reputable ones, I guess, or those that have been around? Your money is safe if your broker goes bust because the ASX, the exchange itself, recognizes what shares you own in your particular companies. If you're chess sponsored. If you're chess sponsored, yeah. If they are custodian, I'm still pretty sure it's safe. Because yeah, yeah. It's like the, the custodian is like Citibank or yeah, something. So they're elsewhere. they're holding the assets, and so if the broker goes bust, Citibank then distributes they the have assets. The, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a record of it. It's yeah. I guess it's don't worry about it. The product issuer, I th- I think, is a little bit different though. No, product issuer is very similar. So if beta shares, because Melissa used it as an example, let's use them as an example. If beta shares as a company goes bankrupt, like they make some bad investment decisions and they don't have the money as a company, your investment money held in the ETFs is treated separately. It's not like on beta shares balance sheet. Beta shares would go bust and then the there would be a liquidator appointed and they would in an orderly fashion, sell the ETF units and return the money to the ETF owners. So it's not it's not like if BetaShares goes bankrupt, they can start then using our money to like avoid bankruptcy or, you know, they, they're, they're, I guess they're like two separate pools of money. The money in the fund is separate to their company money. And if the company goes bankrupt, then the fund money gets distributed to us as the people that have bought the ETF units. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, next question comes in from Zach. Hi, I just had a question in regards to your latest episode where you're talking about how to invest the uh, $100 extra that you guys are saving every month. Uh, In the episode, you're talking about investing that $100 every month over the year. Uh, My question is in regards to brokerage fees. I'm just assuming that your monthly investment strategy would only really be beneficial if you were paying none or next to no brokerage fees. And I was just wondering if you guys had any comments or thoughts around, say, someone who invests with someone like Comsec or Macquarie where your brokerage can be anywhere between $10 and $20 a a trade. Uh, Do you think it would still be beneficial uh, in terms of the compounding, if you put your hundred dollars that additional that you're saving every month into a savings account and held onto it, and made just one trade a year, like one twelve hundred dollar trade a year, rather than a hundred dollars every month or twelve hundred dollar investments over the year, uh, that way you could save anywhere from one hundred and twenty to two hundred and forty dollars a year in brokerage fees, which obviously would add up quite a bit of money over the 30 to 40 year timelines that we're talking thanks in advance for your comments cheers nice one zach well i think there's there's two parts to that question the first is uh is it worth investing hundred dollars a month if you're paying 10 or 20 bucks each time in brokerage and the second question is what like comparing just 
saving it and investing it as a lump sum compared to dollar cost averaging. The first part uh, of the question, if the alternative use of that money is just spending it or like not investing it at all, then it's definitely still worth investing because the benefits of compounding, you know, if you're investing $90 of a month because you have to pay $10 in brokerage, that and, and that's still $90 more than you would be investing otherwise. Like, of course, that is the right decision. But paying 10% of your investment in brokerage is too much. There are better platforms out there. And we've spoken about them earlier in this episode. I guess then the second part of that question is, is it better to dollar cost average, even if you have high brokerage or just save it all and invest as a lump sum? I just want to say to the first part of this question, if you want to pursue a dollar cost average strategy that is multiple times a year, there are platforms available that let you do it for zero brokerage. Yeah, we've said this in the episode already. (laughs) That's that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, so while some of these platforms offer different advantages for different types of investors, if you want to pursue this strategy, the question shouldn't be, I need to reduce the amount of times I invest to avoid brokerage because you can do it with other platforms as many times as you want. Nice, so, I like that. Challenge so, the premise of the question. Yes, so flip the thinking there. The second part was, is it better to save up or dollar cost average? I'm guessing this assumes you are paying brokerage. Well, let's assume that way. Is there actually a mathematical answer here? I mean, you could do the maths. Um, but my gut says that it's better to just invest once. So we did um, an episode on Get Started Investing a little while ago uh, where we found a dollar cost average right. calculator. And yeah. what it, the inputs that it looked at are how much you're investing, how much you're paying in brokerage, and what your expected rate of return is yes. on that money outside of investing. Oh, and then what your expected investing rate of return is. And we'll include that link in the show notes, the dollar cost average calculator. So you can put your own data in there. But, you know, there there is a mathematical way to figure it out. But I think what you said there is the right thing earlier. Like challenge the premise of the question. There's no reason if you want a dollar cost average, and there's a lot of reasons why you would want a dollar cost average, there's no reason why you couldn't open another brokerage account to do that. Mm. Like speaking personally, because uh, you've already said it in this episode, so I'll just because Superhero offers zero dollar buys for ETFs, I have a Superhero account, and that is I don't do any individual stocks or anything like that, that's purely for my core ETF portfolio dollar cost averaging because it's automated and because it's zero dollar buy etfs and so i use it specifically for that purpose and then i have other brokerage accounts for other purposes there's no reason you couldn't do what i do no all right let's keep moving all right uh this question comes in from mitch hey equity mates just a question about dividend investing i'm in the accumulation phase but i really got into investing from the passive income and the dividends. Um, I know it's not the most optimal and tax efficient way, but what's the best way to go about balancing dividends and growth? Cheers. So I think at its core, choosing between dividends and growth is really two sides of the same coin. Like as an investor in the accumulation phase, when you're trying to grow your wealth, what you want to do is maximize your after-tax return 
and then let and do that year after year and let that money compound away. So if you're doing it with dividends, like be mindful that dividends are taxable as income. Um, there will be some franking credits if you're in Australia, but you know, so that's that's one thing to the tax is one thing to keep in mind. But if you're getting dividends and you're reinvesting them in cash flow producing assets and they're compounding over time, great. That's a valid investment strategy. A lot of people have built a lot of wealth doing that. You know, a lot of people, especially wealthier people, do that with fixed income investments. So there's nothing wrong with that per se. It's just that traditionally you've earned a better rate of return from growth mm. assets than dividend assets. You know, these are rough, rough numbers, but you might be getting like a 4% dividend yield from a slow growing dividend paying stock and maybe 2 or 3% of capital growth. And so you might be getting like a 7% total return. You lose some of that from tax because the dividends are taxable. And you compare that to the market's average return, which is, you know, 8 to 13%, depending on what time frame you're looking at. So that's why generally in the accumulation phase, growth is seen as preferable to dividends. But obviously, it's a personal choice and it depends on your goals and your personal circumstances and what you need, what you're investing for and and stuff like that. So I think that's the general rule around balancing dividends and growth, but there's no right answer. No. Warren, I've got nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Uh, let's keep going. We've got a question here from Simon. He says, g'day equity mates. A few silly questions for you that I can't be bothered looking up. Looking at an individual stock, could you please explain market depth and a price as a result of pending orders? How are certain orders with various volumes met and how how does that push the price up and down? We also know for a trade to occur, there is a buyer and a seller. So the total volume reading indicated is both or half of those trades. And how does market cap increase if equal weights or if equal trades are always met? I'm glad I answered the last one so you can answer all of these. <laughs> so this is, this is, if you're compute, confused with a lot of the jargon there, Simon is looking at his brokerage platform and in some plat- most platforms, you can actually see how the stock is being traded on a daily basis. And what I mean by that is you can see how many buy orders there are and how many sell orders there are. Not who's buying and who's selling, but you can just see the total demand on the buy and the sell side for each of the stocks. So market depth is just the volume of stock traded on that day, how many people there are fronting up. And that also drives the liquidity. So for a stock like CBA or Woolworths, there's millions and millions of shares traded every day. So it's got a big market depth. On the other end, let's say equity mates was listed or some very small caps, very few shares are traded each day. And so that doesn't have a lot of market depth. Then he says, could you elaborate on list of trades and uh, how do trades occur between buyers and sellers? Well, this is the role of the broker and it is literally, you put your sell order up for, I want to sell $50 of Woolworths and you can either put it at a market price or at a specific price. And then the broker goes out and matches it to someone looking to buy 50 trades, uh, stocks of Woolworths. It is actually going out and matching trades that are out there. Yeah, I think the one thing that we need to just include is that the list of orders will come in at different prices. Mm. So there will be a whole bunch where they've said, just give me the market price. That's a market order. But then you can also choose a limit order on your brokerage account. And so you can set the price that you're willing to buy at or sell at. And so if you think about it like a bell curve, there'll be a distribution of prices in that order list. 
and there'll be some outliers where they're very high and very low and then they'll really cluster around what the price is in the middle and then there's it's the exchanges job or you know market makers um, and high frequency traders and the like they'll match buyers and sellers and that process of matching buyers and sellers then moves the share price up and down and if the the people are, where where people are willing to sell at and where people are willing to buy at will set where the price finishes at i know that's not a great description but like the to to the final part of the question which was if every trade is a matching of a buyer and a seller how does a market cap increase it's if the sellers are only willing to sell at prices higher and higher than the current market mm. price mm. and there are enough willing buyers to come in and buy it at higher prices mm. and then that means the market cap increases because the share prices increase yeah yeah and then similarly on the on the flip side if sellers are willing to get out at prices below the current share price and buyers are willing to buy then that will drive the price down yeah so a bit of lingo there it really uh you know you can use a lot of these indicators to for technical analysis and to get an understanding for the demand for the stock or the levels of supply that are out there people use it to figure out when they should be buying or selling. But at the crux of it, it's not something you need to majorly worry about. So there was a guy that I worked with at Coles, shout out to Michael, who um, he would sit on Comsec all day when he was meant to be working and just only buy stocks where there was heaps of depth of buyers mm. and not a lot of depth of sellers. And so like he could say that on Comsec. I'm sure there's a lot of brokers that you can say that. And he was just like, there's a lot of momentum in this stock when mm. there's an overwhelming number of buyers compared to the number of sellers and he would just like day trade them mm. and all he would do is day trade market volume mm. and he seemed to do pretty well yeah not it's, enough to quit his job but you know yeah momentum trading one of the entry i say one of the entry not entry but it's one of the easy ways to get into the technical analysis side of things but good question coming in from simon i love that writing into a podcast is easier than googling so keep them coming anyway ren we've got one more to go so let's hear it from mason hey guys i just had a question about etfs and their management fees if i was to buy an ETF through a broker such as Stake, what kind of fees would I be paying if there was a 0.2% management fee per annum compared to buying it through a broker such as Vanguard directly through the ETF? Um, if you just give a breakdown of the fees and what uh, the benefits are of going through a broker such as Stake or going directly through the ETF. Thank you. Great question, Mason. Sounds like you're about to go into the movies or something. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> I was know where you what are. my joke was going to be. Uh, <laughs> nice of Mason to record a message from his kids' Christmas yeah. concerts. <laughs> uh, this is yeah, this is a good question. So fundamentally, the, the the management fee that you see on an ETF is managed by the product issuer. So Vanguard, BetaShares, Vanek, GlobalX, they all have management fees. And they are the ones who manage that. Now, they're not sending you a check each year to ask you for that 0.25%. The fee is reflected in the daily unit price. So that, that's just how they operate. You're not going to see it, but it's just reflected in the unit price. It has no bearing to the brokerage that you pay or the fees that are directly associated with your broker. 
So if you're paying $3 brokerage to buy the ETF, that's stakes fee. And then there is still the underlying fee of the ETF. I don't think that's answered Mason's question, but that is a very good description of the two types of fees. <laughs> what was his question? So I think Mason is asking, what's the difference if I buy through stake or I buy directly through Vanguard? Same thing. Well, so the I think there's a couple of nuances here. First of all, Vanguard and now beta shares, you can buy directly with their products, Vanguard Personal Investor and BetaShares Direct, they charge fees as well. So there's the ETF fees and then there's a platform fee on top of that. If you wanted to absolutely minimize your fees as much as possible, you can buy, not BetaShares, but you can buy Vanguard off market. Like you can fill out paper forms and do it that way. Yeah. The crux of it is though that the management fee still remains. Yeah. So that's the point. So then the, the management fee that you're paying to Vanguard is the same. In most instances, it will be the same. Whether you're buying it off market or on market, the difference is the brokerage fee. Mm, mm. So looking at Vanguard Personal Investor, you don't pay any fees to buy Vanguard ETFs, but you do pay $9 to sell. So net net, you'd actually be worse off than if you did say stake $3, buy stake $3, sell, or superhero $0, buy $5, sell. Jeez, $9 from Vanguard, yeah. that's pretty expensive. Yeah. Anyway, thanks I guess, for the question. I guess it incentivizes accumulating. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's yeah. good. Well, that brings us to the end of our mailbag episode. Uh, I was dubious about it, but it has been a lot of fun. Thank you to everyone who not only has submitted questions for this episode, but has submitted questions throughout the year. It's been a great year answering common money and investing questions, and we're excited to be back in 2024. But stick around because kicking off in the first week of Jan, we have a six-part series on journey to financial freedom, and we are unpacking all the steps that you can take to hit that FIRE goal and whatever you determine to be financial independence, how you can get there. So really looking forward to that. It's going to be great for you as you take a summer holiday or ease back into work. That will be there for you. It's been an awesome year, but it continues. (laughs) The content train never stops. We do have a couple of weeks off and uh, it sounds like you need them. (laughs) It's been a great year. Uh, We've answered a lot of questions. We'll see you all again in 2024 for that six-part series Bryce was talking about. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.